Good morning, everyone. It's my pleasure to welcome all of you to the Edmonton Southwest Police Division, and also in the heart of my constituency, the most beautiful constituency in Alberta, for this very important announcement. I'd like to begin by acknowledging some of the individuals who have joined us today, Minister Nicholas Milliken, Alberta's Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Councillor Tim Catmell, Councillor Sarah Hamilton, and Deputy Chief Devin Laforts of the Edmonton Police Service. I would also like to quickly thank Edmonton Police Service Southwest Division for hosting us today. As an Edmontonian, I have grown increasingly concerned with the increase in, in public safety, addiction, and mental health issues our city has faced. I continue to hear from my constituents about these growing concerns and about the need to take immediate action. And that is why back in December, our government struck the Edmonton Public Safety and Community Response Task Force. Uh, this task force was established to address these complex social issues by implementing $187 million worth of initiatives in Alberta's two largest cities. Here in Edmonton, we have already seen the government take action. The leadership demonstrated by Ministers Milliken, Ellis, Nixon, Schultz, Chief Del McPhee, and other members of this task force has been welcomed and their efforts are essential as we continue to work to keep Edmonton safe while treating mental health and addiction as healthcare issues. And on that note, I would like to now invite my colleague, Alberta's Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Minister Milliken, up to the podium to share the additional steps our government is taking to address these issues here in Edmonton. Thank you. Minister? Uh, thank you, Minister Madhu. Uh, good morning, everybody. As somebody who was born and raised in Edmonton, actually not even too far from here, the increase in addiction, mental health, homelessness, and public safety issues in our province, province's capital is concerning. Anyone who goes to downtown Edmonton can clearly see that there are many people who are struggling. They deserve our compassion, and most of all, they deserve our help. At the same time, everyone who lives in Edmonton has the right to feel safe in their communities. That is why back in December, my colleagues and I promised to move quickly to implement a series of initiatives that would dramatically increase access to mental health and addiction services in Edmonton. These initiatives are part of a fair, firm, and compassionate approach to addressing public safety and treating mental health and addiction as healthcare issues. Fair, of course, to the families, communities, and businesses that face these issues every day, ensuring that the safety of Edmontonians and all Albertans is our top priority. Firm with the illness of addiction itself and the behaviors of people that are a danger to themselves and others as a result of their drug use, and compassionate to the individuals who are struggling with mental health and addiction who require our care and support in their pursuit of recovery. We've already tripled the number of police and crisis teams in Edmonton, or PACT teams, which respond to 911 calls with a mental health com component. 
We've deployed sheriffs to the downtown core. We've provided grant funding to keep transit stations and trains and buses safe and welcoming for law-abiding Edmontonians. And my colleague, Minister Ellis, committed to hiring 100 more street-level police officers in Alberta's two biggest urban centres. Today, we are continuing to build off of those efforts. So, I am proud to and pleased to announce that we are investing more than $17 million over three years to better integrate health and police services, working in partnership with Edmonton Police Service. This funding will double, double the number of harm reduction and recovery outreach teams in Edmonton, known as the HELP teams, the Human Centered Engagement and Liaison Partnership. These teams pair police officers with social navigators from community organizations. Help teams are out in the community where they can uh, c connect Albertans struggling with complex mental health and addiction challenges to the help they need, whether it's healthcare, social services, addiction, counseling, or mental health supports. There are currently 12 of these two-person teams serving Edmonton, and with this funding, we're doubling the number, adding 12 new help teams for a total of 24. This funding will also add new social navigator positions to EPS's uh, diversion and desistance branch, a team that works with individuals who frequently interact with the healthcare and justice system. Social navigators can provide connections to mental health and addiction supports, housing, and other social services. We'll also be adding mental health therapists to Edmonton's 911 dispatch center and to support police officers when responding to mental health calls. This will offer better support to people calling in with medical or mental health concerns, while also freeing up other critical police resources so they can focus on other urgent 911 calls. Police officers have frequent interactions with people experiencing complex addiction and mental health issues. They are often called to deal with someone under the influence of illicit drugs or even alcohol in public settings who may be a safety to themselves or to others. With this funding, we're also taking action to provide more comprehensive addiction and mental health supports for people who come into police custody. When someone is detained under a public intoxication charge, they often need access to medical care. They often have addiction issues and mental health support requirements as well, but not necessarily uh, a requirement for perhaps an emergency room visit. With this funding, the Edmonton Police Services Downtown Division will now include a specialized health team that can access or assess mental health and addiction issues in a safe and secure environment, supporting up to 17 people at any given time. We believe that a coordinated response is the best path forward. By integrating health and addiction services with police services, more people can get the help they need directly without unnecessary visits to emergency rooms. This is another important step in building strong recovery-oriented systems of care across our province. The $17 million announced today is part of more than $187 million in funding our government has committed to respond to these complex social issues in Alberta's urban centres. Through these initiatives, we're continuing to work with our partners in Edmonton to keep our communities safe while helping more people pursue recovery from addiction and mental health challenges. 
So thank you very much. And with that, I would like to invite Councillor Cartmel to say a few words. Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to uh, have the opportunity to speak today from Southwest Edmonton and in Ward Pahesuin, which is uh, the ward I have the privilege of representing. First of all, I want to say that I'm very thankful for the support uh, that is being offered in this announcement. Uh, we will take all the support we can get as a city, quite frankly. For years, my colleagues and I, my council colleagues and I, have been pushing for mental health and addiction supports. As municipal governors, governors we see firsthand the impacts of decisions made by other orders of government in our communities. We also know that the safety issues in our city, the mental health and addiction issues in our city, are real, they are not new, and it will take time to properly attend to these issues and reverse these trends. And we all acknowledge that we cannot arrest and detain and enforce our way out of this crisis. Council has also talked at length about co-dispatch, combining resources in teams to ensure that we get the right response to the right place at the right time. The help teams are about exactly that, matching a police officer that ensures the safety and security of all involved with a subject matter expert that can best prescribe the best next step to support that individual in need. The funding is part of the $63 million for initiatives that specifically increase access to addiction treatment and support in Edmonton, implemented through the Edmonton Public Safety and Community Response Task Force. So I really appreciate the opportunity to speak today and to uh, support these, uh, mes this announcement, and uh, happy to turn it over now to uh, Chief, uh, Deputy Chief LaForce. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Councillor Cardmel, and thank you, Minister Milliken and Minister Madhu. Our government and community partners and Eminent Public Safety and Community Response Task Force for making today's announcement possible. The Edmonton Police Service recognizes that community safety requires collaboration. The police, social agencies, and different levels of government all have a role to play, especially when it comes to the complexities of social issues like mental health and addictions. We are encouraged by today's announcement Teams such as HELP and PACT have a proven track record in Edmonton, leveraging the expertise of our incredible community partners to create more positive outcomes for the city's most vulnerable. Investment in the expansion of these teams and our new integrated care centre for those taken into police custody on public intoxication will build on that success. As police, we are often the first point of contact for those experiencing their most difficult of days be it when responding to a mental health crisis or when taking someone into police custody. The reality and dynamic nature of such events have a need for a police response that ensures safety of the public and the individual. However, in places where we can augment that response with healthcare, social navigators and mental health workers, we're able to get people the resources they need at crucial moments. This can make all the difference in a journey of recovery, and it can also make a difference in the demands placed on our frontline officers. Through programs like PACT, HELP, and Integrated Care Centre, we can work with individuals that drive high volumes of calls for police service to prevent repeat calls in the future. We can actively lower the likelihood that our officers will have to continue interacting with individuals over the long term. In 2022, the subset of individuals HELP worked with that were considered the highest disorder category, driving the most calls for service of all clients, saw a decrease of 39% in average monthly occurrences following the team's assistance. 
this approach and response make a difference. PACT, which has partnered EPS officers with Alberta Health Services mental health workers since 2004, received over 6,000 referrals in 2022. So far in 2023, they've already received nearly 1,800. A busy unit with no shortage of work in the community. The Integrated Care Centre, which functions out of police headquarters, provides a new space for those taken into police custody on public intoxication. But for some clarity, this is for those that are creating a disturbance of some kind, are in an altered state by drugs or alcohol, are not permitted into shelters, and otherwise would be kept in holding cells. In cases where such individuals don't have anyone to provide them care upon release from custody, the Integrated Care Centre gives them time and space to recover, to connect with professional care, and be offered voluntary supports such as enrollment in the Virtual Opioid Dependency Program. The Centre has been open and functioning since March 29th of this year, and will soon expand to include on-site partnerships with Radius Community Health and Healing, providing wraparound services that assist individuals in forming long-term care plans extending beyond release. These initiatives support our approach of balancing enforcement and support, aiding those needlessly entrenched in the justice system while holding prolific offenders responsible for the most serious of crime and violence. Though these two demographics are separate, one often exploits the vulnerabilities of the other. It is important that we continue to come together to build solutions that address immediate needs while taking proactive steps that ensure the safety and well-being of our community over the long term. Thank you. Great. Thank you, everyone. Uh, for the media that are present, there is a microphone right to my right. So if you'd like to line up, we'll go to questions from the Thank floor you, first. Bill. And then we have a couple journalists on the line, so we'll go to them afterwards. All of our speakers are available. And then we also have the Chief Operations Officer of EPS who's available to take questions as well. So uh, one question, one follow-up, and please state your name and outlet. Great. Uh, my name is Angela Amato. I'm with the Canadian Press. Um, so the Globe and Mail recently published a story about the government potentially uh, introducing an involuntary treatment law. Does this have anything to do with that? Will treatment be involuntary when, um, like a, a case when someone is in custody? Uh, no. As you heard from the deputy chief, the treatment that would be received would be voluntary. Thanks. Okay. Follow up? Uh, yes, I do have a follow-up. Um, so some some people may say that um, a more like uh, harm reduction approach would be uh, better, more efficient. Um, why isn't that being considered? So interesting that you say that. Our government has been pursuing a recovery-oriented system of care since we uh, came in in 2019. That means that we're meeting people wherever they are in their uh, issues with regards to addiction. That also, you will note, uh, through, our, um, through our funding, we've actually increased funding with regards to harm reduction uh, supports. So we're actually doing all of, all of the holistic, holistic aspect to ensure that people can then get the opportunities to enter into treatment and then, of course, uh, experience recovery as well. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Alison McKinnon, CTV News. Um, I'm just wondering if you can kind of break down this 17 million over the next three years. So what does that really look like? I know you talk about those 12 members, but how does that break down? Sure. I've actually, I've got a list here. So just to make sure that I don't uh, get anything confused or mistaken. Uh, 3.5 million for 12 new social navigator pr uh, positions with two team leads, which will double the number of help teams uh, in Edmonton, as noted in my comments. 12 to 24. 
$2 million for eight new social navigator positions to support the EPS divergence and decessence team, $2.4 million for eight mental health therapists to support Edmonton's 911 dispatch center and EPS officers over the phone with, critical, with clinical expertise, $6.3 million to add the following health professionals, two full-time healthcare practitioners, two med paramedics, two recovery coaches, and 12 community safety officers at EPS Downtown Division, $2 million for uh, equipment training, administrative and other related costs, and I think $858,000 in one-time capital funding uh, for six new help team vehicles and facility upgrades. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And you know, Carrie here. And what this means is you'll be able to see an expansion of these help teams and PAC teams across the entire city of Edmonton. So right now, by doubling these resources or tripling these resources, every divisional branch within the city will now have this multidisciplinary team available to them so that they can take proactive calls and we're not just reliant on the kind of over-concentration within the downtown. So we're taking care of the center, but we're also ensuring that the periphery of the city is also covered. And just to clarify, like when when are these happening? I, I know it's over the next three years, but what is the timeline exactly? As we speak. Okay. And am I allowed yeah, to ask? Up, yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. To the deputy chief, actually, if sure. that's okay. I just want to hear about um, the officers that are already a part of this um, section, the 12 members that are already doing this. What What has that been like? It's been it's been a fantastic, right? So again, it's about having those other options and meeting people where they're at. And so right now, police officers right now have a very limited toolbox or a set of pathways for somebody that they're dealing with. But now dealing with a social navigator, as well as now having access with mental health workers, it opens up a whole bunch of avenues for where we can get that person that longer term, more more effective help. Okay, and we have uh, some media on the line. So operator, could you please put forward the first caller? Good morning, Minister. Thanks for taking my question. I'm just wondering, regarding involuntary treatment, I understand it's uh, one part of a larger report, and while nothing is proceeding now, to my understanding, if we were to see that uh, enacted in Alberta, could you sort of explain what that would look like on the street if, uh, let's say, a police officer or social worker comes across someone who may need this treatment as you see it? Uh, th thank you very much for the question. I think it would be a little bit premature for me to try to explain how something would look prior to us actually assessing uh, how, it, how it actually should uh, come into play. As you know, through my mandate letter, I have been tasked with looking at compassionate ways to intervene uh, for individuals who are in the throes of, in the throes of addiction. Um, we have situations where people are uh, overdosing sometimes five plus times a day. We need th those individuals uh, can be, you know, they can be a harm. They're obviously, you know, looking and they're a harm to themselves. They're often a, a harm to the to the community as well. Um, we need to find a way to ensure that those individuals get the help that they need or want. And uh, so, of course, uh, I'm working with uh, many different ministries uh, to take a look at ways to compassionately uh, intervene to ensure that those people do, get, do have the opportunity for treatment. Because we are a government that believes that everybody who is in, uh, who's dealing with the addiction crisis uh, should have the opportunity for treatment and also recovery. Do you have a follow-up? 
I do. Thanks. Thanks for taking a follow-up. It's becoming unheard of. Minister, uh, I wanted to ask you, um, how do you balance, I guess, you know, the rights of someone, whether they want to take an illicit drug and, and do whatever they do versus public safety? It's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, thought, I guess. What I would say is that, from my perspective, I always look at things through the lens uh, of the Ministry of Mental Health and Addiction. So when I'm when I'm when I'm in a situation where I'm maybe making policy with regards to individuals uh, who are in the throes of addiction, I always come at it from a lens of compassion, making sure that those individuals can get the help that they need or want. So I think, if anything, I would balance everything on the, uh, towards the side of making sure that those who are in need get the supports that they deserve and want. Thank you. Uh, moderator, could you put through the next caller, please? Paula Tran, Global News. Hi. Thank you for taking my question. Um, so regarding the Compassionate Intervention Act, some doctors and other healthcare workers have come out to say that this policy is violating drug users' human rights. Um, in the Globe article, it also mentioned that there are concerns that this will violate the Charter. Why is this being concern- considered, um, given the ethical issues surrounding involuntary care? Yeah, thank you very much for the question. Uh, as you know, uh, through my mandate letter that was published publicly, uh, so you can go ahead and take a look at it, I have been tasked uh, to take a look at uh, ways to compassionately intervene with individuals who are harmed to themselves or others. As such, my ministry is looking at all potential options on the table. I will, however, say that there have been no specific decisions made with regards to this respect. And uh, at this time, uh, if we... Uh, if 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 it's if it's tasked if I've been tasked to look at at all potential options, then of course it would be uh, of course my due diligence to 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 at least take a look at every possible avenue. Do you have a follow up? Yes. Um, so I was just wondering, what is the government doing to address the toxic drug supply? Um, supervised consumption sites have been shut down. Um, dr- um, hard drugs are not being decriminalized, nor is the government providing safe supply. Um, given that a lot of people who die from toxic drugs may not even be considered addicted, they may be party users, what is the government doing to address um, the tro- toxic drug supply that is killing people? Yeah, um I appreciate the question because it really does underscore just how important the work that this ministry is doing. As you know, our government has uh, been building out the recovery-oriented system of care, which is now known uh, in in many respects. It's been branded and and taken a look at globally as the Alberta model. Um, We have, when we first got in here in 2019, we we said that we were going to fund 4,000 new new treatment spaces. We've actually added up to now 10,000 publicly funded treatment spaces. As you know, uh, we're also making uh, access to treatment more available. We want to make sure that no matter who you are, no matter your socioeconomic uh, place in society or anything like that, that you have the opportunity to enter into treatment and recovery. As such, uh, if you know, uh, prior to us coming in an individual who is accessing treatment and recovery would actually have to, in many cases, even if this was AHS provided, so this is taxpayer funded, uh, they would have to pay $40 a day 
in user fees. So we got rid of that because we don't want to make it ever a situation where somebody has to pull out a credit card to access uh, health care. And then, of course, we're also building out the recovery uh, communities. As you know, uh, Red Deer has recently completed its uh, construction and should be taking clients uh, in the very near future. So I appreciate the question because it just really shows how important these issues are. And then it Offer, offers me an opportunity to just talk about all the things that this government has been doing, uh, both during my tenure uh, as the minister and then prior with Minister Ellis and Minister Luan for the great foundational work that they, would, that they did as well. Perfect. We have time for one more question. So, moderator, could you go for the last caller? Anna Yonkers, Edmonton Journal. Hi, I think this question should be for the Deputy Chief. Um, I'm hoping you could kind of just walk me through what exactly happens when somebody goes to the integrated care unit? You know, like, how are they approached? How long do they stay there? What exactly are they offered, right? I know you said um, the supports are voluntary. So just further explanation on what exactly happens. Yeah, great. Thanks for the question. It's uh, it's very new. So it's open March 29th, so I think it's something that we're learning. Right now we don't have Radius Health Centre support, so that's going to open up more options to those uh, clients that are going to be in that space. But, but literally, the subjects that are in, been put into that space would otherwise be in a holding cell. So we're kind of we're changing it into a health response. We're making sure that you know, once they kind of come down from their high or get sober so that they're less of an altered state, that, that we have supports and mechanisms to, to kind of meet them where they're at. And so if they want to enter whatever stage they're at with whatever type of recovery pathway, we want to have those health and social supports available to them. And sorry, uh, and you know, Carrie from EPS as well. What you're seeing with this announcement is with the expansion of the help teams as well, when these are folks who are within those holding cells and they get their, um, they get access to their health care, upon the next morning, they'll also be contacted and connected with a social navigator who can now start working on their unmet needs. So whether it be housing, whether it be long-term detox or what that might look like, now they have a smooth handoff to an actual practitioner who is able to now transition them into kind of the social services that they need. So that's really what we're seeing here. It's a continuum of services, whether they're getting their health care overnight, but the next morning, we're ensuring that there is that handoff that um, does take place. And Anna, do you have a follow-up? Yes, I do. Thank you. I just wanted to confirm as well, for the health teams, what hours do they work? Are they 24-7, 365, or does this addition, you know, expand their hours as well? Right now, they are seven days a week. They are not 24-7. They are, I believe, till uh, 7 um, uh, Yeah, 7 p.m. Um, and, yeah, they're available seven days a week, so... This has kind of been a growth. Um, in 2020, when we had started this, this would have been Monday to Friday. We've been able to expand with our partners and additional resources. It was actually of a government of Alberta investment in 2021, I believe, that allowed us to have even ex- additional help teams. So this is a continual growth of the program. Perfect. Thank you, everyone, for coming out today.